Hello and welcome to the podcast for the August 2011 issue of The Lancet Neurology. Richard Lane here and this month I'm joined briefly by Alison Rowan from TLN to discuss some of the issue highlights. But just to mention that the main focus of the podcast this month is an interview I did with Dr. Jonathan Rosen from the Harvard Medical School in Boston in the States. He is one of the authors of a study in this month's issue of TLN which is a genetic association study concerning APOE and intracerebral hemorrhage. You can hear that interview after my discussion with Alison. Give us some of the other highlights, Alison. The first paper I'd like to highlight is a review of freezing of gait, which is a common and disabling feature of Parkinsonian syndromes, and it's characterised by brief episodes of an inability to step or by very short shuffling steps. And in this review... The authors describe the clinical features and therapeutic approaches to freezing of gait. They discuss the physiology of locomotion in animals and humans, and they consider five possible hypotheses for the pathogenesis of freezing of gait. The second paper is a review of natalizumab for the treatment of patients with multiple sclerosis. This drug is approved for the treatment of patients with the relapsing remitting form of the disease and is generally recommended for patients who have not responded to a currently available first-line disease-modifying therapy or who have very active disease. Since the introduction of natalizumab, there have been some reports of a rare but often fatal viral disease, progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy, or PML, in association with this drug. And in this review, the authors revisit and update previous guidelines on patient selection and diagnosis and management of patients with PML, based on some additional long-term follow-up of clinical studies and post-marketing observations. Great, thanks Alison. And any other highlights from this month's issue? So I'd just like to mention that we have a research paper on the safety and efficacy of a retigotine transdermal patch in moderate to severe idiopathic restless leg syndrome and a phase 4 trial of simvastatin as add-on therapy to interferon beta for relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. And we also have a review on monoamine neurotransmitter disorders. Well, many thanks, Alison. And now let's focus on an interview I gave recently with an author of another paper in this month's issue of TLN, Dr. Jonathan Rosen, and he is at Harvard Medical School in Boston in the United States. And this is a genetic association study concerning the APOE gene and intracerebral hemorrhage. Dr. Rosen, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Neurology. You're one of the authors of a very important, very stimulating paper in the August issue of TLN. And this concerns the area of investigation concerning APOE, the gene APOE, and intracerebral hemorrhage. Can you begin by giving us some background context to this study? Well, first of all, intracerebral hemorrhage is the most severe form of stroke, and it's treatments have lagged behind uh, those of ischemic stroke, so the community has been quite eager to find new developments that could lead to new therapies. And one of the observations that's been driving the field is that it's the extent of bleeding, how, how much of a hematoma develops, how big it is, that is the most potent predictor of severity of the disease. And uh, this study investigates whether particular common genetic variants might predispose individuals to having larger hemorrhages. Thank you. And why did you select specifically the APOE gene for investigation? Well, APOE is kind of a funny gene. It's well known around the world for its relationship to risk of Alzheimer's disease. Uh, it turns out that there's um, a related condition in which amyloid deposition develops in the blood vessels of the brain. It's called cerebral amyloid angiopathy. It's quite a common condition. And when it gets severe, it's uh, 
potent risk factor for intracerebral hemorrhage. So this study uh, that's appearing this month in The Lancet Neurology is a follow-up study of a large multi-center international collaboration that investigated whether APOE was a risk factor for the development of cerebral amyloid angiopathy-related hemorrhage. turns out that both the E4 allele, which is well known for its effect on Alzheimer's risk, and the E2 allele, which is well known conversely for its protective effect in Alzheimer's disease, uh, these two alleles are actually risk factors for the development of amyloid angiopathy-related intracerebral hemorrhage. So based on these data, we investigated whether these polymorphisms also influenced the severity of bleeding once it occurred. And this hypothesis was driven by observations in pathology from over 35 years ago by uh, Dr. C. Miller Fisher, who's one of the pioneers in cerebrovascular disease, when he observed that uh, on very careful examination of post-mortem sections from individuals with cerebral hemorrhages, that he would often find uh, vessels at the center of the hematoma that seemed to be what he called the culprit vessel, and then multiple vessels at the periphery of the hematoma, which had areas of fibrin deposition around them, uh, and these he called bleeding globes. So our thought was that if APOE influences the vessel pathology and, in fact, uh, predisposes individuals to develop hemorrhage in the first place, wouldn't it make sense that these polymorphisms, because of their effect on the vessels, would make them more fragile and liable to rupture if they were in the periphery of a hematoma that was expanding. Thank you very much indeed. So what were your main findings? Well, what we found, interestingly, was that uh, while APOE E4 seemed to have no effect on uh, the severity of the hemorrhage, the size of the hemorrhage, E2 had a very potent effect. And the effect of E2 was limited to those hemorrhages that are most likely due to cerebral amyloid angiopathy. Uh, this relationship was uh, associated at a level of, uh, at a threshold of what we call genome-wide significance, uh, which is a Bonferroni correction for all of the potential tests, independent tests for common variants across the genome. So it achieves a, a level of certainty that is unusual for these kinds of candidate gene studies. And the reason we were able to achieve this degree of, of statistical significance was through uh, an unprecedented uh, international collaboration that brought together individual patients with intracerebral hemorrhage from Europe and North America under the auspices of the International Stroke Genetics Consortium. Now, the striking finding that E2 influenced hematoma volume, but E4 did not, uh, is consistent, in fact, with some pathological observations from the last decade of the 20th century, where uh, post-mortem samples from individuals with cerebral amyloid angiopathy, whose genotypes were known, showed a very different appearance depending on whether or not the individuals possessed an E4 allele or an E2 allele at APOE. Those with the E4 allele had lots of vessels with amyloid deposition. Those with the E2 allele, on the other hand, had fewer vessels affected by amyloid deposition, but those vessels that were showed a very severe characteristic of cracking, if you will. So 
uh, we have assumed for many years that in cerebral amyloid angiopathy, the E2 allele seems to influence the severity of the amyloid deposition and the destructiveness of the amyloid when it's deposited in the vessels, whereas E4 just predisposes amyloid deposition sort of diffusely. And in fact, our findings are consistent with those earlier pathological findings. So finally, what are the implications of these findings for our um, overall understanding of intracerebral hemorrhage? Well, one of the striking things we've learned is that, uh, once again, it's all about the vessels. So if we can understand the biology underlying the uh, vessel pathology, we're likely not only to be able to intervene and prevent hemorrhages from developing, but also potentially prevent severe hemorrhages from developing. Given that uh, cerebral amyloid angiopathy is a very common condition, but only a minority of individuals affected develop intracerebral hemorrhage, there'll be a lot of candidates for any effective treatment. But as a first step, this is vital because it implicates biological pathways that we can now target. And presumably, just a follow-up to that, if you can identify people with this genetic profile, there are implications for, for management then? At this point, I think it's premature, but certainly this would be a, an ideal way to screen individuals who are at high risk for both having a hemorrhage in the first place and having a severe hemorrhage should it occur, and these would be ideal individuals for clinical trials of novel preventative therapies. Well, clearly it's a very important issue and something we're going to hear more about. In the meantime, Dr. Jonathan Rosen on the line from Harvard Medical School in the United States. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Neurology. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Well, that's all for this month. Thanks again to Jonathan Rosen, and thanks to you, Alison. Thanks, Richard. See you next month.